0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 77. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up, dude?
1: Oh, man, dude. Draft Chaff is sick this week. We're just so sick. <laughs> Unfortunately, I mean that in the most literal sense. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sick. I, I took off from work today. I'm probably taking off from work tomorrow. You can hear it, my voice. It's even deeper than usual. But uh, <laughs> how are you? Also sick. You could probably hear it
0: differently, but also probably hear it in my voice. I'm less sick, I think, than Ben is, but you know, no fevers or anything, just a bit of congestion and scratchy throat. But we're powering through. We're here for the listener. And of course, we made our commitment to donate a quarter per listen, so we can't skip any episodes. We haven't yet, and we're not starting now. So let's get right into it. I
1: will record an episode from my deathbed. In fact, I expect to. (laughs)
0: If we're still going at that point, I'll be pleasantly surprised.
1: But when we're still going, when we're still going at that point. (laughs) There you go. Well, this week we're bringing you our draft
0: chaff hero for Crimson Val. Make your guesses now as to what that is. Before we get into all of that, of course, our usual housekeeping. If you're not in the Discord already, check that out. It's the best place to go to interact with us on a regular basis, post your trophies, discuss your picks, and chat about life and any other nonsense that you might have uh, to chat about. We've got a ton of channels, so I'm sure you'll find something you enjoy there. The link to that is in our episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you want to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Huge, huge thanks to all of our patrons. And this week, we welcome Adam to the Chaficionato fold. Thank you, Adam, for your support. And again, for all the other patrons who are supporting us as well. If you're not already a patron, you can check that out again, as I said, on patreon.com forward slash pod. Perks over there include things like stickers, show notes, unedited recordings of the show, and our DraftChaff Hero Card, which we're going to talk about today, sent to you, signed by us.
1: Again, Adam, thanks so much. I am genuinely excited about this. I'm sorry that my voice doesn't convey it right now as normal, but I think you're really going to like the draft draft here we sent to you. I added a special little flair on this one.
0: <laughs> All right. With that, on to our crack a draft type thing. Ben, walk us through this one.
1: Yeah, we've got a pack one, pick one here. Uh, it's still recent in the format. Uh, so I wanted to kind of talk about just a bunch of cards at once, get our opinions on a lot of them. First out of the pack is Vampire's Kiss which I have seen people play, I have heard is playable, I have never put this in a deck. What about you?
0: I think I've played it once, but wasn't overly thrilled with it, and besides that, I'm not high on it, but I have seen other people play it as well. I think it's one of those like 23rd card kind of cards that's like, you're not actually that upset to put it in your deck, but you're not looking to do so.
1: Yeah, two blood tokens is kind of legit, and... I will admit, I have been drained out by this before with with some lucky opponents. And, you know, it's one of those situational cards where you're like, well, yeah, okay, this might have been good now, but wait until you're behind on board and top decking and you're praying for a 3-mana 3-3, and then you draw this. And you're like, oh, well, this this just isn't even a real card. Like I said, the the presence of blood does kind of mitigate that, but I don't know, not our first pickable card. Next up, Toxic Scorpion. Eh, Don't even really like this in the green decks that much.
0: Like, it can be awkward for your opponent when you play it, but it only does so for, like, a turn or so. But I have seen it blank a lot of stuff. Like, I've had board states where I'm, like, well ahead, and they play this, and I just have to pump the brakes and can't attack at all. Mm -hmm. So it does work, but, yeah, it's not something you need to take highly.
1: Yeah, this can be useful out of the sideboard against some of the bigger green and even the black decks. Yeah, it's also a nice little combo. Uh, The ability to give death touch to something with trample is neat. (laughs) Because, you know, then uh, it only has to deal the one damage. The rest spills over even if it trades. Just a nice little synergy, but not one that comes up a lot. Next out of the pack is Syncopate. It's, you know, a card. Blue is just so bad in this format. It's, It's not unplayable, for sure. It's not unplayable, but I just... I'm just very opposed to taking blue cards early in the set.
0: Yeah, likewise, especially not ones that are like exceptionally powerful. Like if I opened a whole, bre- whole Breacher Horror here, I would take it. But, you know, there there are only a few cards and I don't know that any of them are in common that I
1: would take, pack one, pick one. Yeah, uh, Syncopate is, I don't know, This is this is evidence of a bigger problem having. I think I don't, I think I should be drafting blue more in this set. I think I'm not drafting it as much as I should be. I think I'm a little too adverse to it. In fact, I've wound up in like a, a red or green-based aggressive deck. Uh, I've been finding the Naya colors particularly good, although black is obviously great too. Really anything but blue. But mostly red-based aggressive decks, just like over two-thirds of the time. I, people just keep passing me a braids. <laughs> like What am I supposed to do, pass a braid? Anyway... Next up is a little guy that I have grown to love, Snarling Wolf. Yeah, I still see these taken like relatively
0: lowly, and I'm happy to get past these and just scoop them up because they overperform in pretty much every deck they're put in.
1: I usually find that I have an excess of mana around turns four, five, six in these green decks after you curve out and all that. And then this is just a, a 3 3. You know, the the threat of activation is also really good. I like how the, the two mana ability pairs well with some of the two mana combat tricks or removal spells. Notably a braid. I've had some disgusting turns with this card where like they
0: attack me with the blood craze socialite and they pump mm. it. And then you just activate the wolf and play like massive growth. And they're just like, wait, what?
1: <laughs> like this thing just gets huge out of nowhere. Next up, militia rallier. Okay, it's filler. It's a three mana three three, but you got to be careful how this one plays out. You need to attack with something else with this thing. It's a good defensive card if you want it. Next up, Lacerate Flesh. Is this the pick? I don't know. This is uh, the, the five mana sorcery speed deal four, which is just such, I don't know. It's so much worse of a rate than we're used to. I actually had an opponent cast Lacerate Flesh on one of my Snarling Wolves when I couldn't pump it. So that <laughs> that was something. You I don't even know. even pumped
0: Lacerate Flesh still deals with it, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it is a sorcery, which really none of these cards tend to be. I mean, it's probably the pick here. Are you ever taking the snarling wolf over like a removal spell?
0: Even I if it's a so. bad one. I think I would here. I don't know that I've I've played like I've put Lacerate Flesh in decks, but I've never actually cast them. And at five mana, there's just so much else to do in this format that I probably would yeah. take the wolf over it. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's correct from like a numbers perspective. I don't know what Seventeen Land says about these two cards, but I think I would take Wolf over
1: it that'd be interesting to look that up. Next up is Heron Blessed Geist. Uh, that's the 5-mana 3-3 three, three flying. When it dies, I, I didn't read this part. I didn't finish reading the card until like the first time I cast it a few weeks ago. Uh, I didn't realize you can only flash it back for two one one flyers if you had an enchantment. I thought you could see that all the time. I was like, okay, this is a fine card. It's like filler. It's okay. And then I saw the enchantment clause and I was like, oh, okay. I think a lot of people still haven't read that enchantment clause because I see people putting this in decks where across 3 games, which I've been playing most of best of 3, I see like 1 or 2 enchantments that this is just so far below rate at that point not interested uh, not unless you're deep in blue white next up desperate farmer this is a an interesting one I, I like this card this is three drop it's two two lifelink whenever another thing dies it flips into a four three lifelink four three lifelink is a real threat on on a, the average board it takes a little bit of work to get there and you know i i take great pride in uh flame blessed bolting this thing after my opponent made like an unfavorable trade but i don't know it's it's probably the best card in the pack so far
0: yeah that's where i'm at at this point um it's just too easy of a clause like it does require a little bit of work to get it to flip but does it actually i mean things die unlimited especially with exploit being a sub theme in the, in the format it's just not hard to turn this over and when it turns over it's a real beater
1: mm-hmm this and the wolf, I think, are the best cards in the pack, and they're about to get edged out by, like, a hair by our next pick, which is Cruel Witness, the 4-drop 3-3 flyer with, uh, when you cast a non-creature spell, you, you basically get the surveil. This is just a, I mean, a 4 mana 3-3 flyer. You're always pretty happy with that. This thing locks down the board uh, against opposing flyers and even smaller ground creatures. I mean, like I said, same problem with the blue card. Not super interested in it.
0: Yeah, but you got to get into the deck somewhere, and I mean, in terms mm-hmm. of the cards we're seeing here, like, I'd probably take the Cruel Witness. Yeah. The Blue White Flyers deck, when it's, like, hyper Blue White Flyers, and it just cares, like, the Cruel Witness is, like, the top end of the curve, and you just have a bunch of cheaper Flyers to put down, or maybe you have, like, one of the, the Skywing Scabs or whatever, Um, mm-hmm. that, that deck can put in work. I mean, there aren't a ton of things with Reach. The Sharpshooter is probably the best one and it stops most things, especially when it gets trained a bunch and, and it, it gets some counters on it. But I mean, unless they have one of those,
1: it's really hard to deal with flyers in this format. Yeah. The old uh, four lantern bearer deck can can get off to some pretty scary starts. The next blue card is actually one I like a little bit more, although I think you're right in that the cruel witness might still be the pick. It's chill the grave. I think this is the premier blue removal spell, you know, yeah, <laughs> as weird yeah. as that sounds. Uh, this is the one that taps the thing down, makes it so that it doesn't untap in the next untap step, and it draws you a card, crucially. Uh, this goes great in the blue-red deck, where the one where you're trying to ping stuff. The Kessig flame breather, the werewolf that does the same thing, where you're trying to just kind of set up shop and cast a bunch of non-creature spells churn through your deck. This buys you the time that you need. Uh, It also locks down the biggest threat. And there's a lot of creatures with good activated abilities or good tap abilities or good threatening attacks. Locking down something like the uh, the Arsonist, the 5-drop Mythic, that won me a game earlier this week uh, because they weren't able to attack and ping down the rest of my board. They ramped into it too. It was a turn 4 Arsonist. It was gross. Out of our comments, what are you picking? That's the last of them.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's an argument to be made for Chill the Grave. I'd probably just be on the Cruel Witness, though. I've seen the Chills wheel a handful, and I don't like starting off in blue in this format, but Cruel Witness is a fine card in blue decks, and if you can force this the Flyers thing and you're, you're able to get into that early, you might actually have a solid deck together.
1: Well, I've got good news. Uh, our next card is just kind of a bigger, beefier Cruel Witness. We've got the Screaming Swarm. That's the six-mana 4-4 four, four Flyer with the whole attacking milling and then you can bring it back in your from your graveyard to your library clause i mean you don't always have time for six drops in these decks and maybe if you are a little more interested in that lean beatdown version of the flying deck you would prefer the four drop but i mean this thing is is kind of a powerhouse this is just a really strong card off the bat its home is probably best in blue green which is a little annoying because that's like the worst deck in the format but i don't know it's the best card in the pack i think on on pure stats wise
0: yeah, I mean, I expected this card to be more more of a deal, like a big deal than it is. I thought it would be more like a bookworm. It's just not. I mean, you can't mm-hmm. play this in any blue deck, and you really do need to be in blue-green because without the ability to ramp or stall out, this doesn't really do a whole lot. Uh, it's just too slow. So, yeah, it, it can be tough to use effectively, but if it sticks around, then it's it's a serious problem for your opponent. I mean, 4-4 four, four flyers are hard to deal with in this format like any others, but it also still kind of gets bricked if you have like a 3-5 sharpshooter. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it, it can be it can be weird. But if you have the ability to set out a board that your opponent can't get through and you can just sit there, send this in, even if they're blocking it with their 3-5, you're milling them out, and then maybe you win the game off of that. It's just a, a weird sort of take-a-back-seat approach to the game sort of game plan, and I don't like that in this format.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I prefer the proactive aggressive plans too. All these blue cards, we're stuck between them. I'm going to make our lives easy. Rending Flames next. That's the three drop, deals five. It's red, deals two if the thing was a spirit. It's great. Take it. Yeah, you, you know, just, you just <laughs> it's going to make our life yeah. easy. Next one, the old Innocent Traveler. What's your experience with this card?
0: I want it to be good and I've seen it be okay, but every time I actually play it myself, it's just kind of fine like most of the time when i see this on the board your opponents have something that you don't mind sacking maybe mm-hmm. one thing and you delay it most of the time it'll just flip and then they can either kill it or have some other way to deal with it but it is pretty powerful if it gets the flip but it's something that your opponent does have to deal with it's just with like all the tokens that float around and like different ways to make them and stuff like that sometimes the sack clause isn't really what you want or you know you sack a disturbed creature and you're just happy to get the extra value out of
1: it yeah yeah Sometimes just the the hill giant mode will lead you to lose the game. If you can get the maximum value off this against like green white humans where uh, maybe they end up sacking one or two things and then they can't anymore and it flips into a 5-3 flyer for four mana, that's a ton of value. But I've also seen the other way around where it just does nothing. I tend to not run this because the four drop slot in those vampire decks tends to be packed. I mean, blood craze socialite over this thing just any day, right? Yeah, I think so. I will say I came really close to pulling off something cool. I don't know if this would work. Someone can rules lawyer me in the in the Discord on this, but uh, I had a is it Mirror Hall mimic the yep. the, uh, the the clone, and I'm pretty sure if you get to clone, my, my opponent had one of these out. I top decked the clone a moment after I killed this uh, the next turn, but if you clone the traveler, they can never get out of the the sack side, right? Because like clones don't have backsides. Yeah, I believe so.
0: It would. I don't know how that works exactly, but I'm pretty sure it just doesn't flip because, they, yeah, they can't flip when they're when they're a clone. But
1: so then does that just not do anything? So then it would just yeah, be a they, permanent hill giant, a, right? Yeah, it's just a hill giant. Yeah. Uh, that's sad. I was hoping it'd make them sacrifice every turn, but I guess they can just, like, if they decline every turn, it doesn't do anything, right? It's not right. like it would reset. Yeah. Oh, well. Now, our last card, our rare, Dominating Vampire. It's a cute little card. I put this more at, like, the uncommon level, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I mean, it heavily depends on the deck, right? you need to be playing critical mass of vampires for this de- this card to actually do work. And even then it needs to be relatively aggressive because it doesn't, it's not really easy ways to sack your opponent's stuff in this format. So, mm. you know, you steal it for a turn and then you give it back and, you kind of need a way to finish the game. So it doesn't deal with threats very well, but it is powerful if you have a lot of vampires
1: out. Yeah, I think the biggest thing I've stolen off of this was a four drop. You can definitely get a lot of vampires. There's even ways of making some tokens here and there. But for the most part, like this often just is a three mana, three, three, and that's sometimes good enough, right? However, that's not good enough to first pick. Out of this pack, I'd probably be on the Rending Flame, right?
0: Yeah, I think so. Alright, with that, on to our Teferi Tybalt, this is our Roses and Thorns style of segment where we share a high and a low from our past week. So Ben, Teferi Tybalt.
1: Well, I guess uh, I can start with my Teferi, which is that I I think I needed some rest <laughs> from school. And, uh, I don't know, getting a few days off means that I get to draft a bunch, I guess, and catch up on other work and uh, things around the apartment. My big Tibble, obviously, is that I'm sick. I had up to like a 102 fever. Not a good time. I think it's a combination of some kind of illness itself, and then also just being worn down, not getting enough sleep, not really being able to let my body actually deal with it in the in the correct way. So I think uh, a nice long break is, is going to be good. Anyway, uh, another side table, little side note: solitude, the the <laughs> the, uh, the the magic card, not the emotion. <laughs> it's just so expensive. Why does it have to be so expensive? I I should have picked some up when they were so cheap. I thought about it, too. Do you remember a long time ago when um, I think it was? uh, Yeah, it must have been like three or four years ago when in the last Innistrad set collective brutality, we were at our our, uh, local game store, Nirvana Games and Comics, South Jersey, great place. And collective brutality was in like the two dollar bin. And I was like, hey, this card seems like modern playable, right? And we were like, yeah, probably. And I was like, huh, maybe I should buy them out Nah. <laughs> and then like for several years, it was like a 10 to $15 card after that. It happened again, dude. I got got by solitude. I I, I knew I should have picked a bunch up and now they cost a million dollars.
0: Yeah, when I read that in our show notes, I totally thought that like you were secluding yourself because you were sick and it like I guess you were getting a lot of takeout <laughs> or something. So it's really expensive. I was like, where's he going with this?
1: <laughs> my, my my show note says solitude is so expensive, so I can I can see how you'd say that. I actually I, I have plenty of leftovers from the past like weekend, so I I am good on the on the, <laughs> the literal solitude. What's up with you?
0: Yeah, well, um I got my last Aether vial that I needed for my modern spirits list. I thought that meant I was done, but I realized I either misplaced or never received two copies of Shackle Geist that I ordered from T C D player. Mm. I know like I went through and looked and I I know I ordered four copies of it, but I only have Hmm. two of them and I don't know where the other two are. And I ordered them. I think the order was placed on November 19th. So like they should be here by now. But yeah, either they're maybe still in the mail or I misplaced them. But in any case, I need a couple of shackled ice and then the deck is done.
1: Yeah, I just hit up TCG player. Uh, we are not sponsored by them at all, but I think we both just always like them, <laughs> you know? It's just as uh, easy because you're you're buying from
0: like a ton of different places, so you can get competitive prices nicely. And I sell on TCG player a lot, so it like mm. balances out pretty nicely. Yeah. So my tibble this week is that I'm also sick. Um, Not not really great to, to have that. And when I get sick like this, like head colds, typically they last a long time for me. Like I think last year I got a head cold in October and I didn't get rid of it until like January. Yikes. So hopefully that's not the case this time around or you're going to have to get used to listening to, me, listening to me talk like this. But we'll see how that goes, I guess.
1: Yeah, don't worry. Next week I'm, I'm speaking into existence. We'll be totally fine again.
0: All right, on to our listener question of the week. This week, our question comes from Wolverine. Wolverine says, Recently, I've heard two main thoughts on drafting. The first is, quote unquote, drafting the hard way, which I understand to be take the best card in the pack, no matter the color, and stay open as long as possible. The other is to end pack one with as many color with as many cards of one color as possible, thus also keeping you open to other colors in pack one and two, uh, two and three. These schools of thought seem contradictory to me. Is this a format thing? Where? What are your thoughts on this?
1: Awesome question. Hope you're doing well, Wolverine. This is one of my favorite parts of drafting, to be honest. These two schools of thought, as you call them, are at odds, naturally. 100%. You're correct in pointing that out. And I want to say they're both right at the same time. And you have to optimize per draft how you depend on one of these heuristics versus the other
0: yeah so one example of this sort of kind of being at odds is is the draft the cracker draft type thing we did last week with the whole breacher horror and the glorious uprising in that case when we were talking about it i had talked about potentially you know running the glorious uprising alongside a child of the pack because obviously those two pair well, and green-blue wasn't something that we were excited to be in. But from a power perspective, the whole Breacher Horror was just the better pick in that pack. And I think a lot of times the drafting the hard way piece, at least in terms of being exclusively just take the best card in the pack, applies in like the first three picks of pack one. From there, drafting the hard way actually, I think, turns into what is the best card for my deck and we start getting into vector theory and talking about like where cards line up with the cards you've already picked and this is part of the reason that it's so difficult to program a bot to be effective at drafting There are just way too many factors that go into all these things. And so you you have to be playing with these heuristics to understand, should I be taking this weaker card? And this is really where drafting the hard way goes. It's not necessarily take the best card in the pack, no matter the color. It's take the best card for the rest of the draft for you, whether that means it pairs well with the cards you already have or sets you up to stay open to something else like it might mean taking uh, an Evolving Wilds or a Dual Land over a relatively powerful Uncommon in your color because you're hoping that you'll be able to, you've seen certain things wheel and you want to be able to move into a second color, a specific second color in the second pack. Whereas when you're ending the pack with as many cards as you can in one color, the idea there is is not, that's not like a hard and fast rule, it's more just... The more open you are going into pack two, the more likely you are to be able to set something up really effective for yourself and draft the deck that that is going to be as powerful as possible.
1: So one example of this is that sometimes when I'm in pack one and I'm looking at, like, say, I don't know, pick nine or ten when there's only four or five cards left in the pack. Let's say I'm I'm kind of like 50-50 between like red. Uh, let's say I'm like 60-40 between red and white. 60% red, 40% white. It's all a mix. I've got maybe some good stuff in there. If there's like one white card in the pack and it's kind of mediocre, it's just like not something I'm really jazzed about, like a sideboard type card. And then like a good green card that's in the pack. I'm going to take the green card because that way if I open in say pack two, I have caretaker. Then I'm already kind of set up. Maybe it was like the the little uh, the wolf pup that gets plus one, plus one counters on it on combat. Then I'm already kind of set up for it. And like Zach said, now I have set myself up best for the rest of the draft, not just for you know the next pick. And it is this, this maximization equation where you have these two competing factors. Typically, over the first few picks, you do take the best card. And then typically, for the last half or so, last two-thirds or... Half or third of of pack one, unless it's messy, you start taking stuff to to kind of you know end with as many of one color. In this format, I prefer to try to get more cards on color in pack one. Well, in other formats, you can pretty easily end with like like I kind of mentioned earlier, maybe like a 50 50 split between two colors, and feel pretty okay going into pack two because you're gonna be able to go to that that line pretty well. But this format is unique. Uh, it is a little bit format dependent in that there is a ton of bombs that you don't want to pass. And when you only take cards of like a certain color or you gravitate towards that certain color, you open yourself up to open one of those things. You allow that to happen. Where let's say I was in red and green and I, sorry, red and white, like I mentioned before, kind of that 60, 40 split. And I don't take that green card. I take a mediocre white card. And then I open Affibrook Caretaker and I'm like, well, shoot, am I supposed to take the caretaker? But now I'm one card fewer from having a playable red green deck. Or uh, do I stick to my guns and pass what could have been an awesome opportunity here?
0: Yeah, the other part of that is that, like, obviously you're passing in a certain direction. And so if you're cutting one particular color going to your left, when you get into pack two, your opponents are shipping you other cards that will be able to complement that one color that you have kind of cut off. And then you're guaranteed more or less to get those cards back in the next pack. So you kind of are also sort of tricking your opponents into feeding you, you know, because then you can read like, oh, nobody on my left is taking this stuff because it's getting passed to me now in pack two. So I can move into that color for my second color and I'll be getting fed all the stuff that I need. Um, And then also that can be aided by whatever your rare is when you open that in pack two or three and you're
1: open enough to be able to just take whatever. So the TLDR... You're right. They are contradictory. You just kind of have to pick when you're relying on each one.
0: All right. For our main topic here, of course, we are covering our Draft Shaft heroes. So shall we tell them?
1: It's Blood Tithe Harvester. And yeah, I know it's not what we originally thought it was going to be for the set, but look, we can make a pretty convincing argument. Blood Tithe Harvester, uh, for those that don't know, that is the black, red, gold uncommon for the set. It is... One black, one red, so, you know, just two mana. For a 3-2, it's a vampire. It's an uncommon. When Blood Tithe Harvester enters the battlefield, create a blood token. You can tap it, sacrifice it to give target creature minus X minus X until end of turn, where X is twice the number of blood tokens you control. Activate only as a sorcery. And really, that that sorcery clause is the only thing that that keeps this from just being super pushed, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: we've seen them get a little happy with this clause. <laughs> it's all over this set, yeah. but um, yeah. yeah, it really is. Uh, you know, being able to just completely basically kill whatever you want, especially these vampire decks can re- reliably generate like six plus blood tokens on the board at one time. Mm-hmm. And it it you know, that basically just turns this into a bleed dry. And, you know, you're just happy with that at all times. So This is a, a zero mana or I guess arguably a two mana bleed dry, which you can't complain about. Now, this is the first gold uh, draft draft hero we've had since Svela Ice Shaper from Kaldheim. You, typically, we see these be monocolored cards, but sometimes there's just an exception when the creature is just phenomenal. And in this case, and sometimes we we do this based on like how we feel it. You know, we play a bunch of games and we feel out what what seems to be the most powerful, typically uncommon. But, you know, sometimes it's a common in this case. We ended up taking a look at the 17 lands data and it was just remarkably Blood Tithe Harvester. The games played win rate for this card is 58.1%, and the bigger stat is the opening hand win rate of 65.6%, which is ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I like what you mentioned about it being a bleed dry, except what we didn't mention is that this is a bleed dry that attacks for three. (laughs) That too. (laughs) For as long as you want it to, right? Uh, A two mana, three, two coming down on turn two. First of all, it makes that blood immediately. It's already an above rate creature. You'd be happy even if it didn't have that tap sack clause. It would still be one of the better cards in your Black Red Blood Vampires deck. And then you can immediately, uh, I guess, turn three if if you curve out. This can let you kill an X2 or bigger if you have additional blood. Curving uh, Epicure into this is just like... Your opponent will look at their hand and say, "Okay, well, do I want to cast my X four? Do I want to cast my my Ulvenwald Oddity if it's just going to get nuked by this little two drop? It feels pretty bad, especially when this thing is going to be cracking in for damage while your opponent figures out how they're going to deal with it."
0: Yeah, the real nice curve is Epicure into this into Alluring Suitor, tack with both Ugh. of them, flip the Suitor, pump both your
1: things. It's just yeah, it gets crazy. Ugh, disgusting. Yeah, this. Uh, now, I would say this, this set as a whole didn't really have an extreme Mythic Uncommon, as sometimes we have in past sets, but Bloodthirst Harvester, I think, was kind of like the sleeper Mythic Uncommon. Uh, there was also talk about the Scorpion, our our friend there, but the, the, the exploit decks just didn't really get there. Uh, I just didn't see a lot of play. It's good, yeah, but Tithe Harvester is, I think, one of the most dreaded things to see on turn two. Yeah, for sure.
0: And then obviously this just scales up the more you can make blood. So the bigger blood synergies you have, the better this is. Obviously on two, this is ridiculous. Later in the game, it's just really good. Because it kind of serves two purposes. It's a two... Like, when we talk about two drops, typically we want them to be good early. And we want them to be good when you top deck them on turn 10. And this one on curve is phenomenal. It's just an aggressive creature that's doing its thing. But if you top deck it late, it's a two mana bleed dry. So... And and Mm. I'm exaggerating. You know, it's not common... I, I wouldn't say it's not common necessarily, but you're not always going to have six plus blood tokens when you play this. But even if you don't, I mean, if you have three or four, you're still killing anything on the board with this. Mm-hmm. So it just turns into a really nice removal spell later in the game. And that's perfectly fine for two mana as well.
1: So blood ended up being really easy to get in this set. Uh, the Epicure, Falconrath Celebrants... Uh, Restless Bloodseeker even, actually a, a few more of them my favorites, Gluttonous Guest uh, and Blood Bloodcrazed Socialite. The Guest is kind of the odd one out here, and the, the Bloodseeker too, in that they're kind of higher toughness creatures. The really aggressive ones are the Socialite and the Celebrants, those are some of my favorites. But they all kind of make up this really neat package where they just give you so much late game flexibility. Oh, do you want to discard your six drop in in an effort to hit that fifth land to cast your five drop? Sure. Or do you want to maybe hold out and wait a little bit, maybe try to discard that land to draw something else you can cast? Uh, You just have a lot of choice, Uh, whereas an opponent, they're just going to top deck a few lands and (laughs) cry as you churn through your deck.
0: Yeah, one thing that they did very well in terms of balance with this format was that typically when you see resources like this, you're faced with With a dilemma and that dilemma is you have this resource which you want to consume to make other cards better or to do the the thing that it does in this case cycle your cards but you also need them there to make certain cards like blood tithe harvester better the nice balance they did here was that you can just make so many of them that you're not worried about using them so you you're fine to just like sack a couple of them because you know you
1: can regularly generate more of them Mm -hmm. and i think that's one of the most absurd things about the harvester itself is that like it doesn't it feel like it should say you sacrifice like a certain number of blood tokens and then it gets x minus x minus x, where x was the number of sacrifice tokens. It should be you sack two to give something minus four minus four. you sack three to give minus six minus six. You don't have to sack anything. You just sack the harvester itself and it you just get to keep all your blood. You get to keep all your other synergy stuff. Uh, It just feels, I don't know, pushed.
0: Yeah, now it being a multicolored card does mean that it really only fits in one archetype and that archetype here is obviously black-red. It's probably the best archetype in the format, but not by very much. I actually feel like this format has been relatively close. I mean, we've talked about blue-green being the worst, but all of them seem relatively close to each other. You can still certainly make good blue decks uh, that work and um, there's certainly not a blue black menace like like we saw last set where there's just that the best deck to draft and that's the one you see everywhere there's a lot of leeway here in this format and that's been nice but certainly you don't really see this card played in any anything other than black red although i i would say i guess it's it's arguably splashable i mean being a two mana card does, makes it very hard to splash because you're rarely going to find the splash on two but it doesn't rely on vampire synergies so as long as you have other ways to generate blood tokens you probably can make it work
1: yeah i could see maybe if you're in like a jund deck that's playing a ton of blood stuff anyway yeah potentially but i think you usually just don't have to worry about that black yeah. and red have a bunch of good ways to use this um blood fountain undying malice if you're very lucky, Olivia's Reanimate ability uh, to kind of get extra value out of the sacrificing itself effect, and we should notice we have a, to validate an assumption here because Black Red is the best deck in the format that might be boosting Blood Tide Harvesters data a little bit, right?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, if it's if it's already a deck that performs really well adding a really good card to that deck is going to inflate both of those metrics. Like the card is really good. So it's going to make the deck win more and the decks winning more is going to make the card look better. So Mm -hmm. you kind of see, see a little bit of inflation there, but it's still just an amazing card. So
1: yeah, I think especially given the presence of bombs in the set, you just feel so safe when you have a blood tithe harvester. You're not worried about your opponent's four, four or five, five or six, six game ender. When you know, you just have this two drop. That's, I don't know, but you see it in your opening hand. You're like, all right, I'm set. I'm going to get to beat down for a few turns. If they drop something like a Blood Purveyor or something, you just get to snap it off. You, you traded your two mana uh, two drop, which probably isn't as relevant if you're already to the casting bomb stage. You get to trade it off against one of the, the four mana bombs, something like Overmold Oddity, like I mentioned, um, that could take over the game by itself. Otherwise, you kind of have the safety valve built into your two drop. Great on turn two, but then it's also great on turn eight, like as a removal spell. Sure, you have to wait a turn, but that's not a big deal. Like, you're pretty happy just that this thing still has the effect it can have.
0: Yeah, and if you play this on two, the best case scenario for your opponent is they have like something like a Flame Bless Bolt in hand and mm-hmm. can kill this by the time it gets back to your turn. And then even then, if it if it gets back to your turn and they they kill it on your turn after this is wet, ready to tap, you still get to take an X2 with you because you can do that
1: in response. Yep. So Oh, it is sorcery speed.
0: Oh, that's true. Yeah, no, so you can't do that. But that's like the window, right? They have to be able to... To mm-hmm. get rid of it early, or you can just take out something pretty amazing.
1: Yeah. Uh, also, if you top deck this in the late game and it's like an empty board, or like you're at parity and everything's like kind of how it usually shakes out. The late game boards tend to be small and like a 3-2, it will be a, a real body on the board and it brings a blood so you can loot away a land. Uh, just as a note, if you're playing black, red, please don't play out your lands. I've seen so many people doing this and it just it brings a tear to my eye. I, I cry for my opponents that have like two blood and they play their last card out of their hand. And it's a land I'm like, oh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. But anyway, uh, let's discuss some of the runner ups. One that we came very close to as, as our alternative was a luring suitor. The 3-mana, 2-3 Vampire, Uncommon. When you attack with exactly two creatures, transform a Luring suitor. It flips into the 3-3 Deadly Dancer. It has Trample. When it transforms into Deadly Dancer, add Red Red. Until end of turn, you don't lose mana as steps and phases end. And you can pay Red Red to give it and another target creature, plus 1, plus 0 until end of turn. That was a lot of words, but uh, this card's good. It's really good.
0: Yeah, and I've used it to... Quite a bit of success in red green decks, which aren't really vampire centric, but this thing's ability to pump just gets ridiculous. Throw those on some like tramplers, and suddenly you're doing a ton of damage out of nowhere to your opponent. Also, being able to play this on three and then on turn four, be able to play a six drop is just ridiculous. Yeah. And if you have any other sort of ramp in there, then, you know, just that's kind of lights out for your opponent. In terms of why this is a runner up versus being the pick. It does fit into more decks than, than Blood Tithe Harvester, but overall does less for those decks than Blood Tithe Harvester does for its deck. And also in terms of uh, 17 lands data, we
1: just saw that the Harvester came out ahead. Mm-hmm. Also keep in mind, we also consider other stuff like uh, flavor and that kind of thing. Blood Tithe Harvester, it plays a good role in the story. Uh, that was a whole thing. Olivia sent out her goons to collect blood from the citizens and they're all like, what? <laughs> this sucks. And that that kind of got people involved, hence the wedding crashing. Uh, Although I do love the flavor of a luring suitor too, this uh, attacking with two creatures dancing theme. It's a little flavor fail that the uh, the suitor flips on when two random people dance. You know, like, why is it that any two people could dance and then uh, this guy gets all up in arms about dancing? I don't know. I don't know. A little bit of a mess, but... I think you should keep an eye out for the Blood Tithe Harvester and Constructed. If there's going to be a Vampires deck, it's going to be playing four harvesters. I actually have gotten to live the dream with Luring Suitor. I have done what you said, ramping into a six drop. I've done the alternative where, uh, on turn three, after playing the dance or the the, the suitor, you attack with two creatures, like a one drop and a two drop, and then you get to play another two drop uh, off of the mana floating. And then also, like that's the ceiling. the the floor is just a great pump ability. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah and i mean it's a body it's a three three trampler itself so you know that does that does work as well Mm -hmm. our our next runner up here was ballista watcher this is the two red red for four three human soldier werewolf at uncommon pay two and a red to tap it and it deals one damage any target and then when it it flips into a werewolf that's a five five and it loses the tap part of that ability Um, and then also makes creatures that you deal damage to with the ability unable to block which again in terms of The werewolf decks, massive. I mean, being able to just take out blockers, but also pinging things and it hits any target can be huge. I've won games by putting this at face. I've won games by negating their best blocker and then just full swinging with a bunch of werewolves. Mm -hmm. The card's just fantastic. Um, Again, came down to a data point thing where Harvester's just quite a bit ahead of this in terms of our data points.
1: Yeah, I think the the flavor of this card accurately sums up just how brutal it is. Like, it's a werewolf with a with a gun, <laughs> you know, uh, this thing will absolutely wreck an opposing board. It makes blocking super difficult, this ping ability. I mean, we see the same ability on on one of the bomb rares in the set in Olivia's Attendance, right? A little different, of course, but still just a a, a bonkers card. And uh, last but not least, we wanted to mention Vampire's Vengeance. Two in red, instant, uncommon, deals two damage to each non-vampire creature, create a blood token. This isn't always good, but I've been really enjoying Best of Three, and in Best of Three, this is, I mean, it's its great everywhere, but uh, it's better in Best of Three, I think, because you're able to side it in or out appropriately against the Vampire's decks. And even against, sometimes against Black Red, I've brought this in against Black Red decks that lack uh, sufficient Vampire content. This thing pairs really well with First Strike, which red and black have plenty of. And, you know, it's not hard to set up board state in which this can get, be a two for one, three for one, sometimes even more. I've seen this plague win an opponent for three mana, and of course it makes a blood too.
0: Yeah, this is this is in the right decks, a one-sided instant speed board wipe for three mana. <laughs> yeah. And then of course we did also mention earlier Fellstinger. It is still a ridiculously powerful card and it fits into a lot of decks, but the exploit thing just didn't quite get to where we expected it to be and you kind of needed it to have extra value in
1: that way to get past a lot of these other cards in terms of win rates. Anyway, I wanted to briefly mention before moving on, Alchemy. What is happening? The internet has been exploding magic twitter is angrier (laughs) angrier than usual which is saying something because it's usually pretty angry uh huh yeah so before we jump into this conversation
0: and i don't think this will be too long here but if you're not interested in alchemy at all just skip to like the wrap up and sign off (laughs) Um, yeah, but shouldn't be too long here. So, yeah, Alchemy, if you haven't heard, is a new digital only format that watsi has announced. I don't think it's released yet, it'll be out on Arena at some point. Um, I don't recall the release date offhand, but I think it's
1: out like by the time of this recording, I'm pretty sure. For okay, us it's tomorrow. Okay,
0: all right. Well, then, yeah, by the time you're hearing this, it's already out and it's a digital only format and it's one w- that is supposed to reflect standard with fixes to the cards. So, I guess the idea is instead of banning anything, it'll be standard with no bans. And they'll just literally make adjustments to the cards that need work. And I was so on board with all of this. I thought that was a great way to approach being able to have a digital format that lets you do adjustments to cards because that's one of the big benefits that other digital card games get that Magic doesn't is that they don't have to ban anything. They can just make adjustments to the cards and everything can be Mm -hmm. playable where they lost me was that the changes to cards in Alchemy are also affecting Historic and other digital formats. Yeah. And apparently there's yeah. an issue with wildcards, which didn't make any sense to me, because I thought I read somewhere that if you own any copy of the card, you get all copies of it, all variations of it. But maybe that's not the case, because everybody's complaining that Alchemy is going to ruin set completion and
1: wild card stuff. Look, I'm not going to pretend to know exactly how this is going to impact the wild card economy. As seasoned drafters, we don't have to worry about that quite as much. We usually wind up completing sets from, from drafting, I think. But some of the cards themselves that are actually coming out of this, I find confusing. <laughs> well, they have to be.
0: The The problem is they now are trying to work with... Oh, because that's that the other thing. They added cards, right? There are new cards That are Mm -hmm. supplemental that they said will also be released going forward. Like every new set, they're going to release some like alchemy only cards. Um, And I don't even know if they're alchemy only, but digital only cards. Yeah. And some of them are trying to leverage cool things you can do with a digital client, such as randomly looking in your deck or conjuring new cards they added that with uh, the, the last jump start and things like that the problem is they're trying to avoid using too many keywords because it gets confusing when you have to look up what keywords do all the time and that makes text boxes long and confusing
1: oh uh please allow me to read grizzled Huntmaster, and then i'm gonna read it i am going know i want you to tell me what it does well uh, i've already one... <laughs> looked
0: at the card so I, this this will maybe be a little disappointing for you but i know where you're going with it
1: one green green for a 4-3 human warrior. I'm like, okay, you can hit it with Coco. This is a human. I already like where this is going. This is my kind of card. I should love this. When Grizzled Huntmaster enters the battlefield, you may exile a creature card from your hand. If you do, search your hand and library for any number of cards with the same name, exile them, then shuffle. Choose a creature card you own from outside the game. Conjure a duplicate of that card into your hand for each card exiled from your hand this way.
0: So, huh? so basically... What it does is it lets you take a card from your hand and then also remove any copies of it from your deck. And then you can take a copy of it from your sideboard and play that for the rest of the game, basically. Here's no. here's the thing. It only counts copies that were exiled from your hand. So the question is, why do I g- have to go look through my deck? And I saw some people talking about this as an optional thing. I, I didn't read it that way. Is it actually optional? I know the, the first part is you may exile something from hand, but the part that says you go through your deck is not optional from what I understand.
1: You, you'll you be able to select any number of cards. So oh, I so guess you just you could, select zero. Yeah. You can okay. fail to find if you wanted to. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so that part is not as confusing anymore. But the question is, if you can only benefit from the cards you exile from hand, why would you go through your deck to get rid of those? And the explanation I saw from the Watsi staff member was... It's intended to be able to pull out dead cards in game ones of formats. So huh. if you go up, you know, you're playing some historic deck or whatever, and you are going up against a deck that just blanks, like maybe you're going up against control deck and you have a ton of removal spells in your in your deck. You can just get rid of them and pull a card from your sideboard that will help you in the control matchup. So it lets you sort of post side, it lets you sort of pre sideboard, but there's a lot of work Doesn't to it. it. And it's really confusing in the wording of, of the,
1: the card. What's getting me is that it has to be a creature, right? It, oh, does it? Yeah, I guess it did
0: say it has to be a creature. So yeah, yeah, it, it is a little bit, minuscule in that in that way like it doesn't quite fix that problem you can't grab anything so yeah we'll see how it plays out but i the biggest worry to me is just the way it's worded like it just seems ridiculous
1: yeah i i don't know if i wanted to read a book i would read a book (laughs) you know i've said it a few times i'll say it again i i prefer cards with simple and cool designs And when I have to scratch my head at at like how exactly this works, yeah, sure. Like I, I guess I get it. It, Like if I'm playing the green-white humans mirror, I can sight out my thalias. Like okay, I don't know. My biggest problem with this is what you mentioned before and that it apparently impacts Historic. I, I haven't even seen that confirmed for sure, but if you're telling me I saw that Luminarch Aspirant is getting kind of nerfed, yeah. Luminarch Aspirant and Thalia's Lieutenant are BFFs in, in Historic. That's going to ruin my favorite deck of the format. Luminarch Aspirant, where it triggers on end step instead of combat, is not playable. That's right. super disappointing.
0: Yeah, and that's why like it's one of those it's one of those things that's like very believable if that's the case that Watsi decided to also make those changes affect historic. It's believable cuz it's the kind of overcorrection they have been known to do in the past where mm-hmm. they're like you implemented this really cool thing, but then you took it a step too far and made it awful and now nobody likes it. That yeah. is exactly what Watsi has been doing for years, so I'm not surprised if that's the case, but it's a really dumb idea. They should have just left the changes to alchemy and alchemy alone. And then if they want to do also like other digital changes for historic, fine. But then you end up with four copies of the same card and when what, what does what in what format and you gotta worry about all that kind of stuff, which is just gonna get ridiculous anyway.
1: But yeah. Uh the the few problems that I have in this, I one thing, if they if they had framed this as kind of like uh standard sucks, let's try something different, you know. Uh, let's spice up let's add some digital cards that i like but like you mentioned yeah this affecting historic the fact that i could refer to a gold span dragon and not everyone think the same thing as me communication wise that's important that's going to be a little confusing and then some of the specific digital only aspects that we're seeing the, the cards themselves i just don't like them i don't think they're very good begin anew is green green white white for a sorcery Destroy all creatures. Creature cards in your hand perpetually get plus one, plus one. What? <laughs> what yeah. am I looking at here? This, the green and white, what, like, this is a top-down design that I just don't think has to exist. Why is this implemented digitally? Like, why why isn't this, I mean, they just did Meat Hook Massacre. This is an, a, a very similar effect. Couldn't they have templated this in paper? Even then, it would be a bad card. I just don't well, really get it. This the one problem is, like, the me. perpetually thing is level.
0: really hard to track the perpetually thing's really hard to track in paper because it's just saying that for the rest of the game those cards have plus 1 plus 1
1: but hear me out it, this could have been a four mana enchantment uh, green green yeah. white white enters the battlefield destroy all creatures and then anthem you know yeah yeah it could the pro- well I, these... I mean the
0: difference there is that that an enchantment can be interacted with later and uh. this can't perpetually is just there and and there's nothing they can do about it yeah
1: yeah um perpetually seek all you could just all this make stuff. you
0: could just and it, and it only affects those cards in hand. It doesn't affect all the cards that you play
1: in the future. Yeah, okay. There's definitely upsides to this. I don't want to sound too negative. I think this is cool. I'm certainly going to play it. If there's opens in this format, I'm totally going to play them. Uh, in fact, I really like some of the, uh, the newer wolf things that they're adding. There's a one-mana green wolf. It's a 1-2. When it enters the battlefield, gain a life. When you cast your next creature spell... That creature enters the battlefield with an additional one-one counter, trample counter, and vigilance counter on it. That's awesome. <laughs> like that's a sick little one drop. Although they could have just printed it in paper, you know? <laughs> it should have been printed in paper.
0: Yeah, there was the, the most laughable one to me, and then we can move to a wrap-up, was the the land. There was a a land, I think, that taps for any color, and it ETB's tapped unless you oh. p- you were on the play. And yeah. people were like, why is this a digital-only card? It's very easily ported to paper. Like, you don't have to make any changes at all, and it would be a very playable card in paper. And the answer mm-hmm. from Watsi was, sometimes it can be hard to remember who was on the play.
1: <laughs> wow. Anyway... <laughs> I guess, uh, I guess we'll see how it all plays out. Look, I mean, magic is changing. Change can be great. I think it scares people unnecessarily sometimes. I'm excited to see what comes from this, but uh can't say I'm not slightly disappointed in, in what it's looking like so far.
0: Well, that's it for us. Thank you so much for listening. Do check out the Discord if you haven't already and you want to be a part of all the conversations going on there. If you want to support us, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Pod. We really, really appreciate all the support we get there week in and week out. And if you want to reach out to us outside of the Discord, you can find us on social media. You can find me at Zach E. Hackett. You can find Ben at Betafish1. And you can find the podcast directly at draftchaffpod
1: all on Twitter.
0: That does it for us, and we'll talk to you next week. See ya.
1: Before we bounce, uh, sick days have one great benefit, and that's that you get to marathon some good shows. Uh, I have two recommendations. First one up, Arcane. I'm a little bit behind on this. Uh, Some people may know it as the League of Legends show. Which I wouldn't really call it that. I, I've dabbled in Runeterra a bit. I never played League. In fact, uh, one of my good friends told me that I have to watch this show, uh, but that I should not in any way let it inspire me to play League, <laughs> which I thought was pretty good. Have you seen this one yet?
0: I have not. It, it's been touted as a phenomenal show, though. And I did play Runeterra for quite a time, so I know a bit about the lore uh, of, of Runeterra and stuff. So I'm sure I would find it exciting, but it's it's not something
1: I've watched yet. Yeah, uh, A-tier, world-building, uh, nice character development. And I think really what, what pulls this is the animation. It's one of the, the coolest visually designed shows I've ever seen. Um, and I think even that makes it rewatchable in itself. Like, I, I, I'm i excited to go back a second time and see the frames that I missed when I blinked the first time. Like, it's it's wonderful to look at. Highly recommend. It makes me a little disappointed for the
0: magic show that isn't even out yet like i just know it's not going to be the same production quality
1: i i'll I'll be honest i actually looked up the animation studio that was working on the magic show and i was looking at like some of their stuff compared to the the stuff that happened on this show i'm like they they got a (laughs) big shoes to fill i guess but yeah it, it is uh i don't know i wish we could get this studio to work on the magic show but if you want a really cool uh I don't even know what to call it. Action, adventure, political, thriller, uh, family drama. It is fantastic. Uh, Second one, Cowboy Bebop, the anime from like the 90s or 80s. Um, Big fan. I started watching it, I want to say when I was in high school, uh, but never finished it. And with the remake coming out, I saw it trending, kind of reminded me of it. I was like, "Oh, I should, re- I should finally finish the original, not the, not the remake. It didn't look great, um, but the, the original." I realized, "Oh, it's about time I get back onto that." And it too is just so much fun to watch. Uh, it's funny, action-packed, killer soundtrack, just uh, space western with jazz. You know, like it doesn't get much cooler than that. Highly recommend.